0: Welcome to the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Here's your host, Cliff Ravenscraft.
1: That's right, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Oh my gosh. December 2019. I hope you're as excited about December as I am. I hope that you are not waiting until January 1st to design the life of your dreams, to change the behaviors you want to change. There is so much opportunity between now and the end of this year to make significant life transformations that will set you up for the best year you've ever had in your life. Anyway, hey, I'm taking another break here, as you may have realized Uh, last week, did not put out a podcast episode, got some other things going on that are higher priorities, including my own personal margin in life, loving life as always, and I will be back soonish, with another version or episode or session from the Free the Dream 2019 conference. I'm going to I'm committed to giving you that content for free. The next episode will be out when it gets out. But today I wanted to deviate from the original path and bring in my great wonderful friend Daphne Finley Scott. Hello Daphne, how are you? Cliff, I am fantastic
0: and really, really excited to be with you today. You are very kind and very generous, and I just am excited anytime we get to hang out together. So thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Well, I want to say first and foremost, congratulations, because I remember it was like nine months ago, you were sitting, you were in the hot seat, and you're like, listen, I've got all of these different things that are going on, managing some transition in my own life, but some crazy idea Has occurred to me, I think I want to write a book. Just not sure about it, but I think I want to write a book. And you made a decision and you're celebrating something today. You want to tell us about that? I do.
0: Today is the official book launch day. Uh, The book is Waking Up a Leader, The Five Relationships of Success. And you know, Cliff, I knew I would be excited about it Um, But I didn't realize how excited I was going to be and how it would feel, you know, you kind of make up these stories in your mind sometimes. And I knew it was a big day, but it has been just, it has been like a day I haven't already this morning. I haven't even sort of, I've been like trying to ground myself because it's just been so amazing to get this out into the world. And, when we were talking to be able to do this, this show with you and spend time with you today uh, is really a a big deal. And I'll say more about why that is when we get into, into the book. But yeah, so today is the official book launch day. It is officially out into the world. It's on Amazon and um, I'm really excited to have it out in the world now.
1: That is so awesome. Are you, definitely Is this your first book? It is my first book. It is.
0: I've, um, and, um, already started working on a second book in my mind titled Things I Didn't Get To, which will be, (laughs) which will be things that I didn't make it in my first book. But yeah, this is my first book. Yes. Yes.
1: That's awesome. Well, before we go too much further, I I think there are some newer folks to the Cliff Ravenscraft show. Maybe somebody tuning in for the very first time. They don't know who I am and certainly they may not know who you are. So real quickly, I just want to say Daphne is a friend. First and foremost, she is a friend, and she has been a client of mine for so many years now. I, I think you started out with podcasting A to Z. Is that right? I
0: did. I did. That was when we first met. I, I, I did a couple of your your, your uh, individual tutorials. Kind of got to try it out, and then I thought, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. This guy is such an such an amazing teacher. Um, and a really cool person. And then I did podcasting to a, to, a to Z. Yeah. So that was where we first really started to get acquainted with each other. And you haven't gotten rid of me
1: since. So. Have not. And um, <laughs> I'm so thankful. So here's here's a little brief history of, of my relationship with Daphne. So I really got to know her through the four weeks that she spent as a student through podcasting A to Z. She had launched this podcast called the Super Fantastic Leadership Show. You can find that in your favorite yes. podcast directory of choice. And that show is still going today. Do you have any idea what episode number you're on? Like, I do. We just recorded 275. That is so cool. And for the first, <laughs> I think at least a year and a half or several years, your co-host, who I had no idea, Katie Hendricks. Who's <laughs> Katie Hendricks? I have no idea who Katie Hendricks is. All I do is I'm tuning in because I love Daphne. Daphne's an incredibly passionate person. She has She has an incredible way of thinking about leadership. And 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 I just love her insights, but I, I have no idea. She she must have just like invited her neighbor neighbor Katie over. I have <laughs> no idea who this Katie is. But it, and it's so funny because um, fast forward, I don't know eight nine years. I read a book that had had transformed my life within a like a few short weeks. It was called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks and i and I, this book had been recommended to me for months and months and months almost a year by Dan Miller one of my mentors he's like cliff you really based upon all the things i keep hearing and you say i think you would really get a lot out of this book the big leap the people that you help the way that you're helping them the way that i see you live your life if you could understand this upper limit challenge that most people deal with i think you could find a powerful uh not he didn't say a powerful niche in that but I think this is a way yeah. you could show up powerfully in people's lives. Because it, it's just, I think it's the book for you. And and of course, I don't like to read. So <laughs> it took me forever to put it at the top of my list because I, I read about two books a year on average. But when I go into them I go deep. And boy, the book, The Big Leap, as most people know, changed my life. And then you're like, hey, Cliff, you know that Gay Hendrick's wife <laughs> Was my co-host for my podcast for this? It's like, oh, there's the dots to connect it. Anyway, that's so funny. So your podcast, tell tell folks real quickly what what's your podcast? Why did you create this podcast, and and why is it still going two hundred and some odd episodes later?
0: Yeah. So why did I create it? You know, I, I, when I found out about the world of podcasting, which was getting familiar with you, um, I too really enjoy talking first and foremost, I have been doing public speaking forever. I just, was a natural, you know, talker to begin with. And so I really liked that idea. And so it it fit in well with the strength that I had. I did conversely, um, you know, comparing that to writing as an example. So I thought, while podcasting could be really fun, I liked the technology part of it. And then Third and most important I wanted the people that I was working with my current clients that I was coaching working with in organizations to have access to you know some of the ideas the thoughts that I had some of the, some of the training concepts that I was bringing to them and to have access to that at, at, at a you know pretty regular basis I do a show every Friday pretty much and um, I thought wow if I could really make meaningful content for them, that could be really, really helpful. And then, of course, what happens is you know through the world of podcasting, Cliff, is other people start finding it and hearing it and finding you and listening to you, and so then you're able to really contribute to people's lives in a really positive way. And in particular, in my world, in which the world I was which I was doing and, and doing most of my work was in leadership, right, and organizations, so I felt it could be helpful the people in that way. And so I started doing it and love it. I still love it. 275 shows later. Um, now my co-host is my assistant, Marta. And what we, what we really had to do with the show then, which is really fun, Katie, you know, we, we did uh, 120 shows together. Actually it was 121 shows together. And uh, Katie said, you know, this has been great. And I'm ready to move on to, you know, other, other adventures. And I said, that's fantastic. I'm, I did a couple shows by myself. I liked that. Um, but I really enjoy talking with another human being. It's sort of my, my thing, I guess. And so I went to Marta and here's what was really happening is all the things that I talked about on the show, you know, I practice in my own life. <laughs> I practice at work, right? So there's Marta, there's me doing my stuff out in the world and Marta, who's my, I color, my fearless assistant and co- uh, creative collaborator. Um, we're having to practice all these things. There's things on the show that I talk about all everything from organizing yourself to being productive to how you manage feelings. What happens when I get upset about something, you know, how do Marta and I navigate this relationship, uh, things that people are doing in work all the time, right. And how they're relating to each other and all the things that come with work. So um, I went to Marta and I said, how would you feel about, you know, bringing this into real life, if you will, we're going to do these topics. We'll still, still do those uh, the topics that we want to cover on the show. And how would you feel about that? She goes, I I don't, I think I'd really like it. So the first show we did, <laughs> I recorded, we were in person, and she lives in Columbia now, we met in Chicago, but she lives in Columbia now, we were together, um, she came back to the United States, we were together in, actually in Las Vegas, and to not make her too, too feeling too antagonized, I just set the recorder, I had my Roland ro 5 still have that actually, sitting right here, and I set it down on a tripod, and I said, let's just have a conversation, let's make this real casual, and that was the first show that we actually did together, and then we've just been doing it ever since. So she's uh, been my my host, and we really have to practice in real life. And we bring topics up, but we're able to share our experience of working with those topics, with, which I think has been really really um, great. And then the third thing we did we just we just changed the show a little bit now to really have more an emphasis more of an emphasis on questions. Um, and what are the questions, as you know, as a coach, Cliff? The questions that we can ask and that we can pose and that we can sit in. Really allow people to start to have their own experience and really take a deeper look at what's happening, you know, for them. So we just uh, kind of created created that new format uh, really over the last month.
1: I I love. I just want to say I love the new format of the questions. One of the recent questions that you covered was something about failure. Uh, How how do you deal with failure? and mistakes mistakes that's what it is yeah and and I love I always love how it's like I guess we need to define what a mistake is and and, 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 and it's it's so true because my by the way my wife has a podcast that she has a co-host that she does she does a a co-hosted show with her one of her or actually her best friend and they had a they had a very challenging disagreement during A recent podcast episode. the The question was: Is suffering necessary, or is is suffering a necessary component of the human condition? And and so her co host asked her my wife that. Now Stephanie and I have a very clear understanding that we have some language. We know what meaning we associate to the word suffering and and yeah. and by that suffering it's something that is a choice suffering is is associated with se- severe negative emotions depression anxiety uh, um worry da- self-doubt lack of self-confidence uh it, you know a lot of those things. this is suffering right and yeah, yeah. and stephanie says no i don't think suffering is a necessary part of the human condition i think you can live life Without suffering, and yes. and and it it never really came out in the early part of the conversation. But the the definition was it, it was clear by communication that her co-host her, her definition of suffering was discomfort, things right. things yeah. not going according to the way that you hoped that they would work out, and things are challenging, and and things don't go your way, and 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 also occasionally bad things happen. And, mm-hmm. and it was, it was interesting to hear them go back. It was like, if you guys could have just defined <laughs> suffering, you could have avoided all of this.
0: Let's, let's get it. I was say, you know, you probably heard me say on the show too, like we have to have some way of operationalizing this definition. So yeah, we're clear about what it is we're really talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of one of my things for sure. Yeah, what is it that we really are talking about here? So I
1: I, I, I love your show, super fantastic leadership show. It de- definitely go, definitely go check it out. Who is your target audience? Who do you think would most benefit from that podcast?
0: Yeah, it's a great question for sure. Leader, you know, people who are um, leaders in organizations. We do cover topics that would have from time to time. Not too, not I'd say an overwhelming amount, but that would have something about you know where there's a. There is a, um, for lack of a better term, a hierarchical sort of relationship happening. Um, you know, I really do think that leaders um, in organizations in particular, they're, they're given access to a certain level of decision rights. So they can um, make decisions about who gets hired and fired. Typically, they make decisions about a budget. So how the organization going to use its money. And then they make decisions about how people are going to use their time. In other words, they're directing people's energy if they're if they're in a, uh, an effective leader. They're you know where people are putting their attention. So, um, in that regard, or in respect to that, then what we really find out is that leaders really are de- dealing quite quite a bit with the hopes, dreams, and aspirations of other people. So, that's not a um, it's not a role in life that I take lightly. <laughs> I try to get leaders to understand you know leading people is a privilege. Um, I, I, I believe my experience. Um, so definitely people and organizations would benefit for it. That being said, um, you know, my business is DS leadership life. So there is this other component that many of the things that, that leaders have to learn, um, and can learn about leading people are the very things that impact their life overall. So I, I really don't have a belief that you can be one way in the boardroom and a different way in the living room, you know? um you you will show up everywhere eventually <laughs> so so there are all the life parts of it that that come into the show too so
1: so yeah. it's mostly from what what i recall cuz i i used to listen to it uh, your show for a very long time when we first started our relationship there was a time when i transitioned and wasn't listening for a while i came back to listening the interesting thing is that I would say the reason why it didn't always seem to resonate with me is because I have absolutely no connection, no tie to the corporate world. Yeah, right. And right. And, and for whatever reason, I, I just associated, you know, I love Daphne, but she seems to talk about these corporate relationships a lot. And it's just just like, I I mean, and still for the longest time, I'm just the podcast answer man, right? So what do I care about? A lot of corporate structures and those hierarchy of relationships and how do you manage other people and all this other stuff. I'm a solopreneur. I'm not even one of those entrepreneurs that has his own business with a team of people that I manage where I could maybe even benefit from some of those leadership skills. I, I love solopreneuring. And I, I I avoid so many leadership and management mistakes just by not being a manager.
0: Well, to a point, yeah. <laughs>
1: to a point. No. So so what ha- what happened though is a couple years ago I made a transition into coach, and what I realized is that I'm not just coaching solopreneurs. I'm not coaching people who are just wanting to do what I've done in life. I I I have many people. I, matter of fact, one of my actually. One of my most recent comp clients that I picked up just since I think June of this year um, is a senior like senior vice president in a global 100 company. So it, it, I mean, pretty high up. And I'm I'm now I'm coaching somebody who is a <laughs> corporate leader, and I was like wait a second, how does this happen? And so I find myself yeah. very intrigued to to improve my understanding of that world. And so that's why I've come back to your show. And it has, it's, it's resonating with me at a deeper level because I always want to make sure that I'm doing whatever I can to understand and appreciate the world of the people that I serve and that I'm investing yeah, in a relationship with.
0: Yeah, it's very, it, it is very helpful to understand the context. You know, it kind of reminds me, I used to be a physical therapist and the body was the body. I mean, I could treat, you know, anybody with a shoulder injury. I mean, the, the good news was the shoulder didn't change that much in <laughs> the last hundred years or so, right? However, it was very different when somebody was using their shoulder because they were primarily a baseball pitcher versus somebody who was functioning in an environment. Maybe they were working in a factory or something like that. So it, it was definitely helpful to appreciate the context in which People were having to interact, you know, interact on a day-to-day basis for sure. It is helpful, so I'm glad you came back to the show club. I,
1: I, I am, I am as well. I, I am as well. And here's another thing that I learned, and I, I'm still, I'm still sitting with this. But I, Daphne, you know, and, and my audience is well aware that I've I've gone super deep into a new book called The Prosperous Coach by Steve Chandler and Rich Litvin, and I've yeah. developed a significant relationship with Rich Litvin, one of the co-authors of the, uh, the co-author of the book, and he has a podcast. And in the opening introduction of his podcast, he goes for the first or for the past several centuries, it wasn't called coaching. It was called leadership. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. And and all of a sudden, I've never equated the two terms before. But the, this is the other thing that's helped me. I thought that I would come back in, and I'm really engaged in your show because it's about leader because it's about leadership in a corporate world and and all of that stuff. Because that's who you are. That's how you show up. You you coach corporate leaders. Is that right?
0: Yes, that's right. Yes.
1: So so i'm thinking this this will be valuable to me but then i'm making this assumption it's like uh, uh, this this jump of logic it's like wait a second Daphne now tell me what you think about this daphne's okay. podcast is a great resource for me to learn more about the skills of coaching yes because you, cuz your show is about the skills of leadership and what what leaders in companies are doing are actually coaching other human beings within the organization.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay, so now Cliff, you've opened up a can of worms <laughs> because you know we're having to uh, to have some definition about what we mean by coaching. And I want to tell you in the corporate world that word out of probably many words, that word has probably been the most beat up, um, you know, probably overutilized on some level. Um, and what it was attempting to do, I think, in the beginnings is really um, get out of the energy of this idea of, I'm just going to tell you what to do, you know, a, a, a command and control sort of approach to human beings, which didn't, you know, which really doesn't work very well. It might have worked, you know, in the 1940s. It doesn't, it definitely doesn't work now. <laughs> you know, people are much more complicated than that. So, um, you know, the idea of coaching was the basic framework beyond it was that, look, we're going to partner together we're going to collaborate together towards some end result. And in that, then, you know, it's not me just telling you what to do. There's going to be some thoughts and, and sharing and and agreements made and all these different ways to go about it. So, um, yeah. So when you're leading at an effective level, what that means is that you can inspire people there. They want, you have, you create followers and you do that usually through some form of what we would define as coaching. Now, one of the big differences I think that happens with yourself and myself as a coach. Okay. With a person who's in an organization is, and you can tell me if this is right or not or wrong for you either way. Um, we don't particularly get tied to a person's like to one level of an outcome. Right. right? So if I'm your, right. If I'm your boss, <laughs> you're my subordinate and we're being held responsible or accountable for level X results, I am going to have a certain level of attachment around what happens, right? And there's the idea of you can let people fail and you'll do that. You might do that for a little while, but probably not for too long versus as a coach uh, in the environment that you and I function in, you know, really we're open to people getting the learnings that they want, that they need to get in their life and holding the agenda for them, hopefully. Right in a meaningful way, and being open to they are always also on their own discovery and their own journey about what that means for their life. So we have much less of an attachment to maybe a bottom line result, for lack lack of a a better um, description. So it's a different way; it's a different definition um, of coaching, I think, than sometimes we could see in organizational life. But you bring up a very very. Interesting concept, for sure. Well, very good concept.
1: And, and so in in fairness to Rich Litvin and that statement at the beginning of a show, he does actually, through a lot of conversations that he shares with people that he's coaching, he's he's basically coaching coaches, people who want to be coaches. Yeah. And so a lot of yep. people, what's, what's happened is, I would say... From the people that I've seen following Rich Litvin, they're the people who have read the book, just like I have. They've been absolutely mesmerized by this process. It's it's helping them see things from a whole different way, and so. I've I've personally seen at least fifty different people who have had powerful conversations with Rich that he's shared. Either I've seen it mm-hmm. live at an event, or I've actually listened to podcast episodes or YouTube videos where he's doing live coaching of people. And what happens is one of the limiting beliefs that these people have is like, listen, you know, I, I'm really struggling to find new clients. I'm really struggling to do this because I'm a brand new coach because I'm so new. To the world of coaching, yes. yet here, here it's like, well, wait a second. Tell me what you do as a day job. Well, I happen to be chief of staff at IBM, and I've been doing this for the last twenty-five <laughs> years. And he's like, you are not new to coaching. <laughs> you have been doing it for twenty years. Yeah. See, and and so that's where he's got it. it so yeah, we could. I mean, we could it's clearly. So good. Def- we could clearly define coaching as saying, hey, we're not tied to a specific outcome. We're not even tied to being right. We're just here to to help you change the way you see the world, to help yes. ask questions. We're not here to, as a coach, we're not here to give you answers. We're here to ask questions and and help you see things that are within yourself that you aren't able to see on your own because of where your focus currently is.
0: Totally. But, totally. And that's an excellent way to say it.
1: But the thing is, is that if you've been a leader at IBM for 25 years, you've certainly done a significant amount of coaching in that yes. process. So it's not necessarily leadership is coaching, coaching is leadership, but but there's a lot of coaching that goes on throughout leadership. There's a lot of coaching that goes on throughout Absolutely. parenting. There's a lot of leadership.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's really funny that you say all that, Cliff, because exactly the thing that when I was a physical therapist and treating patients I all day long, right, 10, 12 patients a day, all five days a week, sometimes six days a week. The thing that allowed me to be such an excellent physical therapist and to love it as much as I did at the time, and I had all the science training and I had all that, and that was great was really that ability. I was coaching people yeah. all day long. <laughs> You're talking to them, helping them get out of their own way, supporting them through the tough times, you know, celebrating their successes with them. And that that's that same skill set was what really the translation into quote coaching, the coaching profession, was actually very easy in that way because that skill set was exactly the same skill set. And then I led teams of people too. So I was in a leadership role. You know, I had four or five clinics that I worked with and people in the organization that reported to me. So, um it was not a not a it was not a big big jump. I think that's an excellent point that they make too for people who are um in that in that profession and it's understanding that um that synergy between leadership and coaching because it absolutely is there.
1: Awesome. Coaching. So yeah. people might be thinking, okay, how did we get into this area of the conversation? All of that to say super fantastic leadership show. I know a ton of people yes. who are following me are interested in the type of transition that I've made to full-time professional coach. An extremely profitable mm-hmm. coach today, I'm so happy to finally say. <laughs> but I'm
0: happy to say it. I'm happy you're saying it too.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, But the thing is, is I want to say that your show is a great place to go to learn new insights about how to help people see things from different perspectives, shift mindsets and and powerful podcast super fantastic leadership show all right so daphne um i was looking i if i remember correctly and i i looked it up here in episode 553 of the cliff Ravenscraft craft show uh it's titled yes. it's friday uh, that was <laughs> June of 2018. It says, in this episode, I feature a conversation with my good friend, Daphne Scott. Daphne will be speaking at Free the Dream Conference in September, and I wanted to use this episode as an opportunity to introduce you. So, by the way, I just want to say, if anybody's interested, you could go to MindsetAnswerMan.com. Let me just make sure. Eh, just It's MindsetAnswerMan.com slash five... 553-its-friday. If you're really interested, go there. You can listen to more of how how Daphne and I became friends if you want to hear and how she became a client and all this other great stuff. We have a great relationship together. It's been powerful. There was another (laughs) episode that we talked about, Einstein time, after I got into the big leap last year. But let's talk about the book and why and how it came about.
0: Yeah, great. I'm so excited to talk about this. So another another uh, great connection, the Cliff Daphne connection. Um, it actually was when we, part of it was when we were prepping for free, free the Dream Conference, your first Free the Dream Conference. And you said, you know, what are the things you want to talk about? And I said, well, look, mindset for sure. I had already this idea on board around, speaking of suffering, how people create people, leaders in organizations, people in life create their own suffering. And one of the things that I had really landed on in my own experience and in working with so many people was that, you know, it's a way that we see things. It's the way that we relate to things first and foremost, not solely, but first and foremost that really starts to create a lot of our suffering. And I said, you know, I want to talk about that and somehow, but I'm not really sure how to frame it. And he goes, you know, and you and you kind of you were kind of coaching me through it and you're like, well, what about this? And we were just kind of in a conversation. And I said, you know, maybe I'll talk about, you know, these these different relationships that I watch people struggle with. And we had already had, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. we had already had the conversation about Einstein time. As I said, you know, one of them, one of the things people complain about reliably, as a matter of fact, I just did this two weeks ago. I had about, uh, about 500 people in a room. And I said, how many of you, um, uh, of you in the organization here, um, reliably have the experience of never having enough time. Everyone's hand went up. (laughs) I said, I couldn't get 500 people to agree on one thing. If I tried to, right. But all their hands go up. So, you know, time is something that's a relationship. We have a relationship with this idea of time. Yeah. And we fleshed out these five relationships. And, you know, I said, I want to talk about how we relate to time. I want to talk about how we relate to money. That's a big one in organizations. Time and money are just big ones in in organizational life and in our lives in general. The middle relationship was the, um, the, how we relate to, to an identity, how we relate to the idea that there's a self over here. Um, it which really isn't, and it's that, that relationship is intentionally put in the middle of these other ones, by the way. And then our relationship to the idea of friendships and in organizations, this takes on a different, um, a, a different understanding, you know, that idea of it's lonely at the top. And that chapter in the book is probably one of the most uh, opens up probably most starkly. Cause I actually start talking, I open that chapter talking about the suicide rate, which is the highest it's ever been, um, in history, especially in the, uh, in the United States. So, Uh, talking about that and then the last relationship is how we relate to the experience of the unknown of not knowing um, What's happening? And so um, the book really was born out of free the dream And so I did a very small version of that (laughs) at The free the dream conference and gave a model, you know that at the time that I was working with um, So people could understand how they're relating to this um, these relationships and then in the book itself uh, the first part of the book is really all about our, you know, you and I would kind of talk about our mindset, but it is really about working with the mind, understanding what the mind does. Just the, you know, before we hit record, Cliff, we were talking about this. You know, everything's going well, everything's going well, and all of a sudden, your mind starts doing these really weird things. It's like, oh, maybe you're not doing enough. You know, maybe you need to get more clients. Oh, I don't know, you can't have it that easy on Mondays, Cliff. You know, maybe you're not doing enough. <laughs> you know, and and when we can see. When we can truly understand that those are simply thoughts, yes, and this is a big deal for people. I mean, it is a big deal when when you have, when this experience actually comes to you, and I mean experience, versus people logically will get that it's a thought. But when you train yourself enough to be able to see clearly, understand clearly that these things are just popping up in your awareness. They literally are just, you just become, you have like 60,000 thoughts a day or something, but literally certain ones just pop into your awareness and that when we can see that they come and they go, they don't last, we really develop this, this other level of being able to relate to them in a way that actually creates much less suffering for ourselves. Yes. And so the first part of the book is really all about that and how um, we work with ourselves to train the mind, to train to understand that we are really just aware, becoming aware of things at every, any moment, whether it's a thought, uh, something we see, something we hear,
1: right? And, and it's important to know that these thoughts are not ours, they're, they're, they don't belong to That's us. They're, they're just, they just come. It's not like yes. they're inside of us. It's not like it it's it's not our conscious trying to speak. it it they're just thoughts. they they're external <laughs> from us.
0: They just are I, the word I love, and I got this from yeah, it's, it's a really old word I got it from one of my teachers is they arise unbidden. Hmm. They simply arise. Things just simply arise in our awareness. And if you really, you know again, understand how the you know, the body and the mind work, there's a million things that we're actually knocking out of our awareness at all times, which is sort of helpful. We'd be kind of crazy if we didn't. Right. So there's heuristics and things that we use that, that allow us to function well in this world uh, that's helpful. But for the most part, for the most part, if we're not paying attention in a certain way and training ourselves to pay attention, those things can really just, you know, I, I like to say that, you know, my attention will just get drug around by the nose by the latest and greatest. Yeah. right uh, latest and greatest thought, latest and greatest sound, latest and greatest sensation, lat- <laughs> you know whatever the thing is that arises in my awareness.
1: You know I just heard a, heard this described in a powerful way. It was an illustration. First of all, you've heard the'm have you heard the phrase train of thought? Oh yes, okay, yes. so I, I love this illustration and it's a great way to to think about it. Occasionally what happens is we're sitting we're we're just sitting there. Enjoying life, maybe sitting at a train station, right? And we've got places we want to go, and all of a sudden a train comes along, and (laughs) and we get on board that train. But have you ever got on board a train and realized, oh my gosh, hey, welcome aboard! We're gonna reach X Y Z destination within three and a half hours. Like that's not where I wanted to go. Oh my gosh, I got on the wrong train. And that's what happens. It's like you you just hitched yourself to the wrong train of thoughts. That and such
0: a great metaphor
1: and and i and I love what he says. here's what you do. You just jump off the train <laughs> and let it go on its way and wait for, and he says, one thing I can promise you, if you ever get a series and a flow of negative flaw, uh, negative thoughts that lead you into a negative focus that's taking you to a different destination than where you want to be emotionally, then you get off that train and let it go. And I promise you, you just wait there and a new train of thoughts, a different way of thinking will come along.
0: Absolutely. I love it. A, I don't know how I've never heard that metaphor or even thought of it myself. Like it's such a great metaphor. And that's exactly what happens. And you know, to your point, Cliff, like they aren't ours, but boy, we really get attached to them.
1: That you the know, key like, word, we get, we get attached. Train,
0: we get attached, we believe these things that arise in our awareness. And I think that's the real gift when I work with people and you know, I have a, I have a mindfulness teacher certification and been teaching meditation for years. It's one of many ways to go about this, but you know, training the attention, the first time, and this is really cool, the first time that people experience, like I'm just sitting here, I am like having a million thoughts. Like I had no idea. They call it the waterfall, you know? And then, rea- then when they realize, that you get attached to your thoughts, you get on the train, and then you start telling yourself, "Well, no, no. <laughs> Even though this is a miserable ride, I've got to stay on." <laughs> yeah. Be, instead of just getting off, right? And yeah, the, it's
1: really. And when you, and I love the metaf- I love this metaphor because that train's moving. You know, it's moving. It's, it's moving. And, and if you stay yes. attached to that train, you take you're further and further off of course from where the direction you wanted to go in life. It's going right. in the wrong direction, and it's barreling down the track. You need right. to jump off the train.
0: <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's really that's a really great metaphor. So yeah, it's it's that you know the the, the book is really based. The first few first couple chapters are really based on that basic idea, like we you know learning to pay attention, starting to just get a sense of asking ourselves, you know, how am I relating to this right now? And back to your point, Cliff, around, you know, this idea of suffering, like some, we all have things that we would prefer would happen in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, you would prefer that you could make a good living as a coach. You could prefer, you know, all these things we have preferences for. And, you know, we don't always get to choose all of those things, you know, accidents happen, you know, things fall off shelves, all kinds of things. Right. So what, It it was so important for us in that moment, though, in those moments, when preferred things or non-preferred things happen, is to be able to pay attention to how we relate to those things. And we we tend to talk about the non-preferred things and how we relate to those, but I want to tell you, the preferred things that happen can create just as much suffering for us because we can get just as attached to those. And I watch leaders and organizations go through that a lot too. I watch people who make a lot of money and guess what happens? They make the money they always thought they wanted to make. And then guess what starts to arise? They get scared of losing it all. Yes. <laughs> so now they suffer around that. And so, you know, we can, the, at the root in the first couple chapters of the book is really about that. Like really paying attention to how we're always relating, either wanting to push things away or wanting to hold on. And all of that's great. There's just one inherent issue. One inherent issue with that idea of doing that in life is that nothing is permanent. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing is permanent.
1: It came, Um, it came to
0: pass. It came. Yes, exactly. It came to pass. That's exactly right. Not right. So, um, When we can understand that, again, not just logically, but really pay attention to our experience to really see the truth in that, it is incredibly freeing because what that really creates for us is that we know that we can manage the tough times with a certain level of wisdom, certain level of um, equanimity, balance. We also know that when the good times come, we can really, truly appreciate them, all The way, and we don't have to concern ourselves with trying to hang on to them. Yeah, boy, can we have a good time when they're here, right? And really, I think we really get deeply, deeply um, in touch with gratitude at a whole nother level when we recognize that the good times too
1: will pass.
0: So. That's the first. That's the first two
1: chapters
0: of the book. I love that. I love that, and and it
1: leads me to this idea, uh, because it's it's it. it, uh, One word that I would use to describe is just non-attachment. We're not attached to these things for our happiness. And that's, right. that's it, exactly right. One of the greatest insights that I've recently discovered at a I, I had it at a mental you know logical level. I, I could think through this and I understood it in, in a, but I feel it today, and I've been feeling it ever since Tuesday, September 10th, 2019. just that day yeah. was the day this hit me i't don't, I don't need anything to make me happy. I, nothing. I there is absolutely nothing I lack. Uh, be you know, dropping to a specific weight while I'm still on a weight loss journey. I, I'm down a hundred pounds, but I still have more that I'd love to weigh and and stuff like that. But I will not be any happier when I get to my ideal weight than I am today. Um, yep. there, there. Financially, things things are better financially for me today than I could have ever dreamed possible, and it, it appears that they're only going to get better. And I have ideas of what I would love to achieve in January and February and by the end of next year. But the achievement of any of those things will not make me happy. And if something crazy, unforeseen, outside of my circum- outside of my control, or even within my control, and I just totally f- <coughs> flubbed everything up, <laughs> and I lose all of my financial consistently the that, consistency that's here none of that is going to make me unhappy either I get to choose to be happy I get to choose to live my life filled with joy I get to choose every day to feel peace and and contentment and I, I've been talking about this ever since Tuesday September 10th. And a yeah. lot of and I've had a handful of people say, well, Cliff, my only concern, I would love to have what you have, but I'm just wondering if I if I had all those things the way you're describing it, if I might lose my drive. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I've not lost my drive. See, the thing is is I'm still driven. I still have things I want to do, the things I want to accomplish. I still have expectations of, mm-hmm. of what life could be. But I've just completely detached myself from any outcome that will lead me to happiness. I'm happy now. And, <coughs> and, and the crazy thing is, is I know this is only in theory for me personally, but if I, was, if I went to the doctor, I have a doctor's appointment uh, in January for a checkup, but if I go in and I'm diagnosed with colon cancer or something like that, that's not going to rob me of my peace. Joy mm. and happiness, uh, mm. and and I and and I say that that's all in theory because, but for me, I know two people who have recently gone through some cancer diagnosis and and treatment and stuff like that, and it had not robbed them. Matter of fact, they're living the best years of their lives right now after going mm-hmm. through this life-altering thing. And so, anyway, I, that some of what you're yeah. talking about there is just being detached from these things that are not guaranteed these things are not permanent they come they, co- they go but it's not requir- it's not required that you suffer to get them That's and it's right. not re- it's not required that you suffer if you lose them and that includes losing your health <clears throat> losing your relationship with a loved one a, a a child that dies it's not required that you suffer I will give you there is it, I'm not saying that you may not te- you may not grieve certainly grief is mm-hmm. is essential mm-hmm. but yes. suffering ongoing for the rest of your life or for any extended period of time it's not required anyway just something that was come came to my mind after you said those last things
0: yeah. Well, it's relevant. And I think, you know, I'll bring this back into organizational life just a bit when we talk about permanence and impermanence, because one of the things you watch organizations try to do a lot is create permanence. <laughs> there's a lot of structures. There's a lot of, a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of policies and a lot, you know, all these sort of congealed things at the same time, by the way, that they want to drive for innovation. Yeah, And it's really fun to watch that, this dynamic, which I think is a healthy thing too. Constraints are good. It can be good. Uh, You know, there's this dynamic tension. And what I watch leaders transform themselves around is once they can really start to get, start to pay attention, like, oh, I'm just trying to hang on to these results all the time. I'm just trying to, you know, if if we grew 10% last year, it's got to be another 10% this year. And we got to, you know, and that's that striving. And boy, when it doesn't happen, that's the suffering. The other alternative (laughs) is to say that, Of course, we're going to play this game of business, but we're going to play the game of losing weight. Let's play that game. That's a fun game. Let's play the game of taking care of our bodies. I don't get to choose what this body does. This body belongs to nature. Now, I too want it to function in a certain way. While I'm here, I want it to be the healthiest that it can be. I want it to let me move the way I'd like to move and to do the work that I want to do in the world and and reach people and impact people and be of service. So therefore, it, it, it helps if my body does what I, w- I would prefer that it that it does, so it's a fun game, and I don't get to choose it all the time. You know, it is aging. It's going to do what it's going to do. Yep. Um, so, you know, it. and when I think we have that level of, of recognizing the impermanence of things, I think when I watch leaders understand this, then they do make wiser choices. One of those is that they won't suffer as much. And guess what? I don't know about you, Cliff, but if I'm not suffering as much, and I'm... <laughs> And I'm your boss. You think that might have an impact on the people around you?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I <laughs> i I'm convinced that I'm convinced that nothing great comes out of suffering, the the suffering that we choose,
0: nope. not suffering, yeah, not. Yeah. Suffering. And you know, I think conflict I think brings it a, a- there's
1: conflict brings a lot of about a lot of good uh, failing yeah. brings a lot of good but choosing to suffer emotionally and 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 holding on to a lots of negative emotions and very negative trains of thoughts that are taking you off in a wrong direction you you can't mm-hmm. be an effective leader in that
0: no, you not 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 in your life or at work. And you know, there's an equation, the Glaycher formula, that um, was put forth by this uh, Dan Miller, and I forget the woman's name. That um, the woman's in it, really transforming. It. And it, 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 They use an organization a lot. So it's about, it's about change. But you know, you can make change from discomfort. Yep. Which a majority of people come from discomfort. Yeah. You can also make change that, and that's not suffering. So you and I are very, you know, clear. Very not, different. Yes. Different. Yes. Very different. Yep. Discomfort's one thing. Suffering's another. And, or you can also combine that with a greater vision. Yes. Right. So, so I like to say to people, you can be pushed by discomfort or, and, or pulled by a vision or both. Or both. And so usually it's, or both. And usually it's some form of those for people that, yeah, this is uncomfortable and this might not be of greatest service. And, and is there, is there another way that we could do this? You know, what's the yes and of this to be of greater service, to, to make this a, a triple, I, you know, I like to think, talk about the triple win You know, make this a win for everybody. If if I'm winning and nobody else is winning, well, then we're probably not making the wisest choices, you know, or being as skillful as we can. So putting those things up against that level of, putting any decision up against that level of scrutiny, you know, do I want to be pushed by discomfort here or do I want to be pulled by a vision? I, my preference seems to be to be pulled by a vision (laughs) majority of the time. Although in the book, um, many of the things where I started waking up were actually I was starting to actually fall into a pattern of suffering. You know, there was a part of my story where I was waking up with anxiety in the middle of the night. I was um, finding it very difficult to enjoy my life. And I did create a a pretty good handful of suffering for myself. Thank goodness I didn't stay in it for too long. But, you know, really got myself wrapped around um, the idea of who I thought I was in the world, striving, Mm. thinking that the thing when when you said no, uh, there's not anything that will make me happy. I just love that, you know, breaking that word apart. Um, you know, getting caught up in that mindset because that's the way most of us are conditioned. Actually, most of us are conditioned to think that the stuff outside of ourselves is really what's going to bring us the most joy in our life. And we find out, uh, most of us figure that out at some point, hopefully that it isn't those things are, they're always fleeting and they're always going to come and they're always going to go. And boy, if we're hanging on to those things, um, we will, we will, we will end up unhappy. <laughs>
1: at some point <laughs> so in the book you you talk about the five relationships time relation how we relate to time how we relate to money how we relate to identity how we relate to friendships and the unknown we got about 12 minutes left and i want to ask you i what what does the chapter on time what, what what's the main takeaway on the chapter of time in your book
0: yeah, the main there's two par- parts. There's two parts to every chapter. Really, there's the the what I would call the consciousness and mindset awareness part of it. One is recognizing that time is a construct. We've made it up to help organize ourselves, but we don't. You know, getting hung up on the clock is a real dicey way. That's this creates the myth, and there's a myth that we don't have enough time. Um, the myth that there won't be enough time. We see time as sort of this finite thing, and it isn't. Um, so that's the first part of it. The second part is of the chapters. It also, it helps to have some skills to organize yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's so really basic, but you know, it's helpful to understand how to hold commitments on your calendar. It's, it's helpful to understand if you're making a list, the difference between a project and a task, that's a game changer for people. Mm-hmm. A task is one immediate next step. A project is something that involves multiple steps. And I can't tell you how many people I watch in organizations, they write out a list and it'll say things like do research project. Plan (laughs) 2020 vision, Um, you know, just these big things. And they they look on their list and like, well, I can't do that. I can't get that done. Call Bob. I can call Bob, you know. Um, So the very sort of the very transactional skills around time. But you'd be very familiar with the basic idea based on, um, you know, or one of the big premises in there around Einstein time. It's how we relate to this experience that creates either the constriction that we have in our bodies right? When we start feeling, telling ourselves there's not enough, or when we actually start relating to, to it from a place of openness that I have all the time available in my life to do the things I want to do. I have all the time available to do the things I want to do. The truth is you'll never have enough time to do the things you don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that, that's the basic premise. Um, in the um, in the time chapter, the money chapter, very similar, how we relate to money. Um, there's the mindset part, consciousness part, what we've been conditioned into around money, what we've been told how to relate to money. We all have some pattern with that and how we relate to it. And then, um, really having some, really having some chops around money. I talk a lot about the fire movement, um, financial independence, retire early movement in that chapter. Um, And some of the concepts that came out, um, way, way in the early, late eighties, um, from the book, you know, your money or even late early eighties, late seventies, your money or your life, um, that was written that really said, Hey, look, take a look at this. You know, what is it? What do you really need? And they bring in a lot of the research around what is it to your point, Cliff, um, people who have over, you know, once people get about 70, 80,000 a year in income, um, they don't experience any greater positive emotion in their life than people who are millionaires. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, there's a real relationship there. And then I, there's the transactional skill. Most people that I work with is really fascinating. I'll ask them, um, how much money they actually need to retire. And I can tell you confidently that the number one answer that I get is I don't know. And how much money do you really need? And the number one answer I get is I don't know. These are very successful people. yeah, And they will say, I don't know. I don't know what my number is. I don't know what it is. Well, that's, <laughs> if you want to stay on the treadmill for the rest of your life, that's a good way to do it is just to not be aware, to not know what that needs to look like for you to do the things that you want to do in your life, right? What, whether that's spending it on certain things that you'd like, a house that you'd like to have or, or giving it away. You know, how much do you want to give away in your life? How much money would you like to be able to give to your to your family? How much would you like to be able to contribute to the you know um, uh, groups that are important to you to contribute to? So every chapter has has a has those those pieces in it where I try to give some practical applications as well.
1: So in the chapter on money, do you have some kind of outline for people to get clear on how to how to get clarity on how much it would take for them to retire?
0: Yeah. Well, the number one question is to, to, to find out what that number is for you. And that's a different path for everyone. You know, I, I, there's no substitute for having a financial advisor or planner to work with, uh, finding a good one to work with and, 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 you know, not falling into the trap. And this is where the, the fire movement, the financial independence retire early movement, I think has been so helpful because they really look at, you know, if you're willing to set your life up in a certain way, you can actually live on a lot less than you think. (laughs) So, you know, we kind of said, well, you're going to need, you know, for you to retire and continue your same same lifestyle, living lifestyle, you're going to need $10 million, you know. And what they show very clearly is actually, you know, if you really take this idea of, you know, having 100000 a year and you really look at what it takes to actually have that extrapolated out with your money invested wisely and those sorts of things, you really don't need as so much money to, quote, retire or to be free to work in a way that you'd like. And that's really what that, that movement is really showing us is that, you can save up, you can, you know, and, and this comes right from Dave Ramsey, who's, who's a guy, by the way, that I don't quote in the book, which I was, <laughs> I was very disappointed in myself when I realized, I don't, how do I do, how do I write a chapter on money and I don't bring up Dave Ramsey? Nevertheless, um, you know, you live, live now, right? Live like no one else now. So you can live and give like, every, you know, um, like no one else later. And it's that same idea. It's the same premise. So there's, there's that in there and then know your number. I mean, you just really have to have a sense of that because if, if you don't, if you don't, then you are just gonna stay on that treadmill forever. You well, know, hedonic treadmill. And
1: stuff. one principle that I learned from Tony Robbins, and it and it certainly is it applies to both time and money, and it's know your outcome. Know what you want.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it, know what you, you want. Right.
1: It's it's called choose your destination. You know, how how do you for, for <laughs> me it's it's something you and I have talked about offline, creating your ideal week what does my ideal yes. weekly schedule look like what do i want to be doing with my life how many hours do i want to be spending doing what or investing doing what things and and also how much money do i want that work to to be generating and right. how much do i want to be generating within the next 90 days how much within the next year within the next 5 years you know and and by retirement i want to have this you know i just it's just knowing your destination and and this is a, yep. a, a practice that I've been teaching people a lot is to consistently also, uh, consistently be asking your question, or you're asking yourself the question, what do I want? What do yeah. I want? I was at the, yep. uh, you, do you want to hear something, Daphne? I was at the gym this morning and I just, I, I create these lists all the time, things that I want. And so today, yeah. while I was at the gym, here's what I, here's an idea, uh, these are the things that I want as of December tenth, two thousand nineteen. I want to weigh one seventy-five okay. or less by the end of December two thousand nineteen. I want to weigh one sixty-five okay. or less by the end of January twenty twenty. I want to create a thirty to sixty thousand dollar workshop in January of twenty twenty. Um okay. I, I want to have thirty thousand dollars minimum revenue in my business uh, every month from January through June of twenty twenty. I want to add Stephanie to payroll by January on January 1st, 2020. I want to start awesome. my investments uh, for, the, for myself, my retirement funds. I want to start something new in investments uh, by the end of January 2020. I want to have... We just po- purchased Matthew a car. We actually took out a car loan. <gasps> but I want, to, <laughs> I, I want to actually pay off the entire loan by the end of March 2020 which we should be able to do it by the end of February. But still, I, I gave myself yeah. a little leeway. I want to plan for the ability to pay for Megan's uh, WKU tuition uh, with personal income in 2020. I want to build my emergency fund back up to $30,000 by the end of September 2020. And I want to pay off a loan that we took out for Megan's tuition for 2019, I want to pay that all off by June twenty twenty. These are things I want. It's just, all you have to ask. It, it's it's not too hard. You just have to ask. You what do I want?
0: Yes, it's that simple. Yes, yeah, that's it. And I can't. T- I mean, it really is that simple. And I can't tell you. You know, when in the money chapter, there's a lot of ways that I could have written about things, and I talk about how to use it in a way that really can bring you the most joy, right? Sharing it with us, creating experiences, not buying things. They really, that's been really <laughs> exhausted. Accumulating more things just really doesn't bring people that much joy. Experiences are the other part of it. Um, and then you, you get to a point where you'll, you have enough, you know, even wanting to have these experiences. And I love your list by the way, Cliff, because one of the things that's really happening in there too is you're using it not just for creating experiences for your family, but also giving it away. And that's the third level. And it's interesting because the generosity piece of this, if you really, and this gets, this gets missed out a lot in the mindfulness uh, work, um, mindfulness um, uh, bucket, if you really want to start letting go of parts of your identity, start giving things away start being really generous. It was actually one of the first practices, um, especially from the Eastern traditions, to really start undoing our attachments to things was really some form of generosity, whether it be generosity of time, generosity of spirit, you know, thinking the best of people instead of the worst of people. Um, and then generosity, of course, in our Western world, I think this has even more more implications Our generosity of, of monetary resources. So um, that's the third level. And I hear that. Every, everything you want. It isn't just what Cliff wants just for Cliff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so much of that's about your family. Yes. I mean like eight things on that list, I think. If I was counting right, we're all about your family.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. That, that's I mean, that's all what's of it on my very, mind. Very, Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah which so, is
0: really really beautiful.
1: Okay. So yeah, so, beautiful. so obviously this book highly recommended. I when is the the print version, effective today, a Kindle version as well, all can be purchased yes. as of today, Tuesday, December tenth. And the
0: Kindle version right now is the Kindle version right now, I think, is discounted for this week for like ninety nine cents or something.
1: Oh god! So you can get a you get a
0: screaming deal.
1: <laughs> Go buy it now. Uh, when will the kin- when when will Cliff Ravenscraft's uh, preferred version be available? the uh, the audio the audible <laughs> the version.
0: Ver- I think the, uh, the the audible version I think will be up this by the end of this week.
1: Awesome! Yeah,
0: it will be available. Yes.
1: Yeah, did you do, yeah. did you do the I recording or agree. did you have somebody else read it for you?
0: I did not. I had somebody else read it for me. I had done, I debated on this because a lot of people are like, oh, why didn't you read it? And I debated about reading it. I've done voiceover work before, as you know, I used to do performing comedy and acting and things. And it was not going to be the best use of my time. I wanted it to be done. You you know, you try to use a little bit of a neutral accent if you can. As you can hear, I have a pretty... (laughs) can have a pretty extreme one at times from my Chicago, Michigan uh, upbringing. So I decided to hire an actress to do it and she did a great job and she is from Chicago. Um, and so I hired her to do it because she can bang that stuff out really fast. And for me, it would take probably hours. So yeah.
1: Well, what's, what's the name of the book again? So people can go look for it right now.
0: The book is waking up a leader, five relationships of success.
1: Waking up a leader, and yes. in, in the is it under Daphne Scott? Is it Daphne Fiddly Scott? It is Daphne
0: Scott. Yep. Daphne, Daphne Scott.
1: Scott. Daphne, yes. thank you so much for coming on to the show. Congratulations on making this book a reality. It, it's a it's a. It, there's one of my favorite quotes from Steve Jobs: is the fact that everything that we see in the world today that we call life was all created by people who are no smarter than we are. And it all just started, <laughs> he says, it all just started by something that they thought in their mind. And I, I loved the whole process of your book because I was on the call when the thought of the book just came into being. And now to know yep. that people who are listening to my podcast can go and buy it, I I, I just love it. Th- we are creators, and, mm-hmm. and I, congratulations on the creation of this book.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Cliff. And it has been just one of my um, most, in, uh, I know, one of my most enduring and endearing uh, uh, moments to share it with you, to be on the show today. It, it's just, you know, it couldn't have been, it could not have been more perfect timing, actually. And I want to thank you for all the support and just inspiration that you have um, given me The coaching that you've given me as well. And uh, it's just been a, it's it's, usually just a a dear, dear friend. What else can I say?
1: Awesome. Thank you. Well, my friends, that's going to wrap it up here for this week's episode of The Cliff Ravenscraft Show. I want to just say thank you for being a subscriber to this podcast. Thank you so much for all the value that you've brought into my life just by listening and applying the, 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 principles, the different ways of thinking that are introduced to you here in this podcast. And especially those of you who occasionally reach out to me, send me an email, cliff at cliffravenscraft.com. It warms my heart. It thrills me to no end. And it just brings great joy and satisfaction when I get an email from somebody that says, Cliff, I've been listening to you for the last five years. I've never reached out to you before, but let me tell you how just the things that you've been sharing lately have been resonating with me and how my life is so much better because of the stuff that you share here. If that's you and you've never reached out or you haven't reached out in over six or eight or nine months, um, just feel free to shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you. Cliff at cliffravenscraft.com. Go get this book, Waking Up a Leader by Daphne Scott. Go buy it today. There'll be links over in the show notes over at... um, What is, this is Mindset Answer Man, uh, what episode? Episode 626. So I'll make it mindsetanswerman.com slash 626. Until next time, my friends, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level.
0: Mindset Answer Man.